Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Happy New Year. I'm sure everyone's been saying it. I got, okay, we're going to wake up. Happy New Year. All right, come on. Come on. I'm going to need a little bit of that today. Um, good to be with you guys. It is a happy new year. The cold came out to welcome us. Isn't that great? Um, it is good, though. Hey, I'm, uh, if, you, if I haven't met you, uh, my name's David. I'm the location pastor here at our Sunset Hills location. Get the privilege of serving uh, this location. And, and I get the privilege of kicking off our new sermon series today, Bold Prayers. Um, as a church, we desire to be with God, to know God, to be passionate, or we should be right, passionate about God. And God invites us to connect to him through prayer. C.S. Lewis says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. Prayer is the avenue which God has chosen to work through you and I. And it's because of this that we want to start this year out praying and not just praying, but praying boldly, bold prayers. It's why we orient our church calendar around weeks of prayer and fasting because Jesus, Jesus doesn't say if you pray, if you fast, he says when you pray when you fast. And so we want to gather around. We want to orient our calendar around weeks of prayer and fasting. And we're going to have our first week of prayer. You heard it in the announcements. Our first week of prayer and fasting starts next Sunday. And I want to invite you to come and be a part of that. There are resources today on our website about our week of prayer and fasting. I would encourage you to go on our website and check that out and join us as we seek God in prayer. Um, well, hey, I want to give you a little, I hope you had a great holiday, and I'm going to give you a little blip into, into my holiday. Um, uh, I went to go see uh, my family in KC. Um, so I married up and I married in. I married up when I married Daniela, and I married into an Italian family, uh, if you don't know that about me. And not like kind of Italian, like really Italian, okay? Like really, really Italian. So just to give you an idea, we went to dinner uh, Monday after Christmas to Aunt Rosetta and Uncle John's house. Um, we, I don't know if this is an Italian thing or if this is just a uh, them thing. We eat in the basement when we eat. We don't eat in the kitchen. We don't eat in the nice dining room table. Well, they take us to the basement. I don't know if it's because they're so loud. They've had so many complaints. That's where they go. But when we eat at Aunt Rosetta's house, we go to the basement. And I'm sitting at this table, and I've got, uh, I've got Uncle Joe to my left. I got Little Joe to my right. I got Katerina and Katerina across from me. Aunt Rosetta, Uncle John, Daniela, and David, right? So that's, that's our table. It's very Italian. And Aunt Rosetta, we go over there. And I knew I was in for a good meal, right? I knew that going over there. There was no question I was going to eat well. If Italians know how to do anything, they know how to talk loud, and they know how to eat well. I'm sitting there at the table, and uh, she, she brings out the first course, which are arancinis. It's fried rice packed together with meat inside. It's delicious, and it's just the first course, and the food just comes, and it comes, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming. And you got you to gotta know, when you're going into an Italian dinner, you got to know you've got to pace yourself, or you're going to end up in a world of pain at the end of that meal. Like, that's just how it goes. I, I, I won't, uh, 
The first time I had dinner with them, it was painful. I've learned. I've learned. I've been married 15 years now. I know how to do it now with the, with the Italians. But they're sitting there. And guys, I tell you what, it's chaos. I mean, they're speaking 75% of the time in Italian. I don't know what's happening. They're speaking over each other. Occasionally, Uncle Joe leans over and he'll tell me what's happening or what they're speaking about. The, the table's covered in food. And all I know is I'm home. I'm home. There's noise and there's food and there's chaos. And I just feel at home in my soul. I belong. I was meant to be in an Italian family. What can I say? <laughs> I knew that we were going to have good food. But like I said, the food, it's just course after course. It was more than I expected. It was better than I expected. I knew I was going to eat well. And Aunt Rosetta knew how to cook. Guys, Aunt Rosetta knows how to cook. But it's so good. And I just remember thinking, this is, this is more and it's better than I expected. And just consider with me for a moment. Just got me thinking about this. Consider for a moment with me that what if, what if God has more for us today? We, we know he's good. We know, yeah, God's good. He wants to do good things. Yeah, he wants, but what if, what if? Just like I said, I knew I was going to have good food, but it was more. What if God has more for us than we've ever expected? What if he has more for you than you've ever imagined? What if he has more for you? We, as we were kind of coming to the last course, people started leaning in around the table and asking Aunt Rosetta, how'd you make this? How'd you do this? How'd you make this food? How'd you make these cookies? Like uh, the questions keep coming in and and you almost get a picture. It's like almost a little picture of what happens in our story today with Jesus. Jesus is with his disciples and they have experienced something. They've, they've walked with him. They've seen him. They've seen him move in power. They've seen him things, things that no one has said before. They've seen him perform miracles that no one's performed before. And they're hungry and they want more. And they lean in and they're going to ask him how, how. And this is the question they ask him. They said, how do you pray? Teach us, teach us to pray. We think about that for a minute. They could have asked him anything. Like Jesus, how do you raise people from the dead? How do you make blind people see? How do you heal the sick? How do you know what to say when the Pharisees ask you? To, they could have asked him anything, but no, the question they wanted to lean into was how do you pray? How do you pray? They must have seen something in his prayers. They must have felt something. They must have experienced something of great significance to make it a point to ask Jesus this question. As if his prayer life was a source for other things to flow out of. If we believe, if we believe that we haven't reached the end of God, if we believe that we haven't experienced all that he is and all who he is and all of his love and all of his power and all of his presence in our life, then may we consider also may we consider also that he has something to teach us in our life of prayer. And I want to look at how Jesus answers this question, how he answers this question to our wanting more from him and who want to know how to pray. He starts in Luke 11, and we're going to start in verse 5, and, he, and this is what he says. He said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now let's just stop for a minute and think about this. Jesus says, this is how we pray. 
You want more? You want to know what else God has waiting for you? Pray like a rude, inconsiderate, lacking in self-awareness individual. That's what he says. This is the story we tell our kids and we say, don't be like this, right? I mean, think about it. The guy is going in the middle of the night to get food for his companions. Is it his friend's fault that he wasn't prepared for them? Is it his friend's fault that he is not ready to receive the people coming to stay with him? And he's going in the middle of the night to a man who he knows who, if he's his friend, which he says, friend, he knows he has children, okay? This is, this is a time when houses were much smaller, right? When it was much, 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 much more common for the family to all be sleeping together. When he says it's midnight, it is the middle of the night. Everyone's been asleep for hours. This is a culture that went to bed with the sun and woke up with the sun. When he goes over there, he knows he's going to ruin his friend's night. Probably the next day because children aren't that easy to get back to go back to bed, right? He's ruining his friend's. This is the story we tell our kids and say, don't be like this. Please don't be like this person. Please don't have the audacity and the rudeness. But this is how Jesus says, pray. This is how Jesus says he wants us to pray. He wants us to pray boldly and audaciously audaciously, it almost feels rude. And I thought about this as I read this and I reflected on this story that Jesus tells. I thought about what must it have been like? What must it have been like to be the man who was going in the middle of the night to ask for bread? I mean, surely he felt some level of guilt and shame. I mean, guilt and shame for not having his house ready for his traveling companions. Surely at least a little bit of guilt, at least a little bit of guilt for ruining his friend's night. He's going to ask him for something he didn't deserve. And he got me thinking, he got me thinking, how much does guilt and shame prevent us from praying? How often do we, do we think about praying and we think, I don't really deserve this. I don't really deserve to ask for that. Uh, I really haven't been that great this past week. It's hard to come. But Jesus says, look, look, this man, here's a man, doesn't deserve the bread. He doesn't deserve it. And says, you want to know how to pray? This is how you pray. You pray audaciously and boldly, and you ask for things that you don't deserve. That's how I, Jesus, I want you to pray that way. I want you to pray that way. It's radical to think about it. Guilt and shame are not to stop us from bringing our request to God. And he goes on, he says, I, in verse eight, he says, I tell you, though he will not get, get up and give him anything because he is his friend, probably not his friend anymore, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he need, whatever he needs. Jesus says he gets the bread. Not because he's his friend. Not because he's friend, but because he asked. Because of, because of his impudence. You know what impudence means? I love I looked up the synonyms for impudence. This is what it means. Bold, audacious, I love this one, unblushingly forward. Shameless. I read this story and I think, how could someone make such a request? Jesus tells this story in order to show us how we should make our requests. 
guilt and shame in what we do not deserve, what we do not deserve, do not play in Jesus's equation. We could think of a thousand reasons why we shouldn't ask something of God. Jesus could probably give us a million reasons. But he says, come on, come on. This is how we pray. Come on, come on and ask me. I find that when I feel unworthy, I have a very difficult time wanting to run towards the one who is worthy of my prayers. But Jesus says, come on. I know you're unworthy. He says, come on. What are you going to ask of me that I don't already know about? Come on, what need are you going to tell me that I don't already know about? What hurt, what pain, what hope, what joy? What are you going to tell me that you don't all, what I don't already know about? Come on. It's an invitation to be with him. The man in Jesus' story didn't receive bread because he deserved it. He received it because he asked for it. And Jesus goes on further explaining how we should pray. He says in verse nine, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. He says, you want more? Do you want more? I want to give you more. But you won't know if you don't ask. Ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Ask and you'll receive it. And when I think about the way that God wants us to ask, when you think about this word impudence and then following it, Jesus says to ask and you shall receive. Ask. I think, I think about, it makes me think about how my four-year-old daughter asks me for something. Because my four-year-old daughter will ask me boldly and shamelessly for anything that she wants at any time. Doesn't matter. And do you think she asks once and walks away satisfied with whatever answer she gets? Four-year-olds don't do that. They're unaware. They're unknowing. Listen, my daughter came to me. My four-year-old daughter came to me. She was watching a cartoon. An advertisement came up for a toy in a toy store in New York City. She comes up to me and she says, I want to go. I'm like, what? How do you explain to a four-year-old who doesn't understand time, travel, uh, money, anything, that I can't take you in the middle of a workday while your sisters are at school to New York City to get a toy? I don't know how to explain that. I find myself in that position a lot. She's asking me for something I can't give her. I don't know how to answer it. But, that's, but she asks and she's persistent. She's not thinking about the consequences. She's not thinking about what that, will, what that decision will do to me if we did something. Like she's not thinking it through at all. She's just coming and asking. And this is what she does. If she, do, if she asks for something and she gets turned away, you know what? Five minutes later, she'll be back asking for something else. Because that's what she does. Because that's what little kids do. They persist. They shamelessly ask for things. And I think that's what God wants us to be like. He wants us to be like little kids when we come to him in our prayers who are boldly, boldly and shamelessly and persistently asking for things because he has more for us. I mean, he says, listen, look at the words that he uses after he says ask. He uses the word seek and knock. These are the words he asks. What, are, what, what, what do we do when we knock on a door? Think about what you do when you go to a door and someone's expecting you on the other side. By the way, Jesus is expecting us. When you have someone who's expecting you, go to the door, you don't do this. <sighs> I guess they didn't hear me. And walk away, you don't do that. We don't do that. When we knock, we... 
right? We get louder. We get agitated. We start ringing the bell. We start texting them. I'm here. Where are you? Open the door. Like that's how we knock, especially when someone's expecting us on the other side. We don't just do it and then walk away. No, we knock. We get a little aggravated. We keep knocking. Think about how you look for something when you've lost something of value. Not just, not just looking for something in general. When you've lost something of value, something very, 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 very important to you. Think about how you seek that thing. We don't walk into a room. Like, oh, it's not here. Go sit down on the couch. We don't do that. How do you look? You go into a room. If it's not there, you go to the next room. If it's not there, you go to the next room. You're turning furniture upside down. You're moving people out of your way. You're looking underneath. Like you're looking when you're seeking. When you've lost something of value, that's how we seek. That's how we knock. And that's the picture that Jesus is giving us when he says, this is how you pray. You ask. You ask boldly and shamelessly and persistently. And you keep asking and you keep coming and you keep knocking and you keep seeking Come on, this is how we pray. I don't know about you, but often my prayers don't look like this. I, I read this text and honestly, I'm personally convicted. I, I, man, I give up way too easy. I shut down way too quick. I discount myself way too fast. I make my prayers more about me than about who God is. But he says, no, 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 it's about me. It's about what I can do. It's about what I've invited you in, what I've allowed you to do, and I've allowed you to come close in your life of prayer. This is how we pray persistently. I love the definition of persistent as it applies to prayer. Obstinate continuance in a course of action in spite of difficulty. Obstinate continuance in a course of action in spite of difficulty. That's what our prayers are to be like. It's not always easy. It's not always easy to pray. I get that. We get that. We all get that. It's not easy to pray. But God's saying he's giving us an invitation to persist in something because he has something for us. He has something he wants to give you. He has more for you to experience in him. And it's so important that it's so important that we grasp this reality that we come to a God who's not a genie in a bottle. This is not, we rub the lamp, we get our three wishes. He's not something we can control. He's a father and he's a good father. Some of us have had bad fathers. He's a good father. He's a good dad. And here's the great news. He's a dad that is able to do anything at all times. When my daughter asked me to take her to New York City, I was not able to do that. There are things outside of my reach as her father that I can, I can do for her. But you know, when you pray to God, there is nothing outside of his reach. There's nothing too big. There's nothing too great. There's no circumstance he can't change. There's no life he can't change. Do you live, are we living with this reality? We come to a dad who's able. He's able. That's good news for us. And he reminds us, he reminds us of this relationship. He, he goes from, this is how you pray. This is how you do pray. This is how you pray. And then in this passage here, where we're going to kind of bring it to this passage to a close in verses 11 through 13, he reminds us that he's a father and he tells us, he tells us what he wants us to ask for. In verses, verse 11, he says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, 
how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? When I read that text, there's a part of me that wants to, like my mind wants to fill in the gap here when he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Like that's what wants to roll off the tongue, but that's not what he says, is it? No, he says, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who asks him? He says, you who are evil, you know how to give good gifts. And he, and he doesn't, he, God's not gonna just match that. He says, how much more? So what he's wanting to give us, he's wanting to give us in abundance. He's wanting to give us more and more of it. And he says he wants to give us the Holy Spirit. Do you think about that? That God wants to give you his Holy Spirit? Sometimes we make this, the Holy Spirit this weird mystic thing that like hovers around that we don't quite wrap our minds around, but he, he's not. He's God. You know who the Holy Spirit is? He's God. He's God. You know how God is all good? The Holy Spirit is all good. You know how God is all knowing? The Holy Spirit is all knowing. He's all love. He's perfect in every way. He's God. He's God. That's who the Holy Spirit was. Jesus, God, wants to give you the Holy Spirit. He's saying he wants to give you more of God, more of himself. Do you know that God has more for you? He has more for you. Listen, we come in every single day. We wake up and we have expectations of who God is and what he will and will not do in our life. We live with expectations. We can try to get away from them. We can decrease, but we live with them. And God wants to break through our expectations. See that he has more for us. And here's what we do. Here's what we do as human beings. We, we long for, there's things that we long for. Like, oh, if I had a little bit more joy, if I had a little bit more peace, if this circumstance was a little bit easier over here, if I just had this, oh, if I just experienced a little bit more love in my, like all these things, we want all these things. We long for these things. And Jesus, listen, what, what is he, he wants he wants to give you the source of all things. Like Jesus doesn't want to come in and just give you, all right, here's a little bit of joy, boom. No, he wants to give you the source of joy. He doesn't want to give you a little bit of peace. He wants to give you the source of peace. He doesn't want to give you a little bit of comfort. He wants to give you the source of comfort. There's longings and achings in your soul that he put there by design that can only be met and only be satisfied in knowing and being filled and walking with the Holy Spirit who is God. That's what he wants to do. Because he has more for you. Jesus, how much more? It's abundantly. He's saying, come on, don't settle down. The, the, the apostle Paul says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We do this again and again. Every day we get to wake up and we get to boldly and shamelessly and persistently ask God for things that we do not deserve to ask of him. More than anything, himself. But God, out of his grace and his love for you, wants to abundantly give you his Holy Spirit. It's an amazing thing. Think about what if, what would, my, what, would, what would my life look like if I prayed, 
the way that Jesus is teaching us to pray. What if I, what would my life look like if I woke up every day and I, and I lived with this reality that today God has something more for me to experience in him? I want you to live that way. I want to live more that way. God has something more for us in him. The Holy Spirit, <laughs> he wants to give us the Holy Spirit, the same one that Christ said, hey, it's better for me to go. Why? What could possibly be better for Jesus than God? He said the Father can send the Holy Spirit. He's the same one that raised Jesus from the dead. This Holy Spirit who saves and sets free and brings peace and brings hope. And, and, and Jesus said when, to his disciples, when you're standing and having to defend the gospel, like, don't worry, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words to say. This is the Holy Spirit he wants to give us. What if God has more for you than what you've asked for? What if he has more? Imagine, imagine with me if this is how we prayed. Imagine, church, imagine for a moment, if this is, this is how we, what we woke up. Because when I think about this, the way that, that Jesus describes it, I, it, to me, it describes a longing within. He's described a longing that we have from, if we woke up with a longing for God and not just to get through the day or not just to get through the hour or not just to get through this next circumstance or this next season, but a longing for God who's over all these things, how would our life change? What would we see God do if he poured out his spirit on us. When the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, miracles happened. When the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, entire cities were turned upside down with the gospel. When the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, revival broke out and people were healed and eternities were changed. What might God do if we stopped going after things, but we had a laser focus on the one thing? If we had a laser focus on God himself, if we had an appetite that could not be quenched, imagine what God might do if as a church, we boldly and shamelessly and persistently prayed for things that were too big for us, prayed for things that are not too big for God? What if we prayed for things that we're like, you know what, I could not even imagine this happening, but come on, God, would you do this? Like whatever the biggest, most audacious, most ridiculous prayer you can have, it's, it's a small thing for God. What if we prayed this way? What would our life look like? What would our church look like? What would it look like when we gather next week for a week of prayer and fasting? What God might do if we came in with this? Appetite. Come on, God, we want more of you. We want more of you. We trust you. Here's our prayers. Here's our prayers. We trust you. We trust you. We look to you. Come on, let's, let's, let's pray. We're talking about prayer. Let's pray. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray. The band's going to come. He's inviting us to ask. He's inviting us to experience Why wait? Why wait? Oh God. God, I pray that shame and guilt would be broken in the name of Jesus. Our performance would be broken in the name of Jesus. Any barrier that stands between us 
in coming to you, coming into the throne room, coming boldly, coming audaciously, shamelessly, unblushingly forward, coming to you, God. If there's anything that stands between us, God, would you tear it down in our life? Would you help us to see that Jesus has conquered that thing? He tore it down. He made a way. He says, look, I qualify you. I've allowed you to come. I've invited you. It was my blood on the cross. It was my victory raising from the, uh, from the grave. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. I hear every prayer. I say, come on and pray. God, help us to pray this way. Holy Spirit, we just say we need you. God, we want to be continually filled with more and more of you. God, I, I know that I've not reached the end of your love. I've not reached the end of your grace, God. There's more for, you, for me to experience in you, God. I know as a church, there's more of you to experience for us, God. And we want to taste and we want to see and we want to proclaim that God is good. We want to see you moving in power, God. So we just ask you, Holy Spirit, will you fill your church? Will you come upon us? Will you open our eyes? Will you open our ears? So that we may be changed and be more like you, God. Help us, Lord. Help us do this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for drawing us near. We just pray these things in your name. Amen.